Father, to you, with the Son and the Spirit, three in one, who dwells in unapproachable light, we come only through the grace and mercies that have been afforded us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come seeking for your Holy Spirit that indwells us to grace us so that we might commune with you and you with us and that you would reveal your living, holy word that is full of light from the God of light. So that it might illuminate our minds, our hearts, and draw us to your light. So that we might, as your people, worship you. Give thanks to you. Receive from you that which we could not receive anywhere else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to see you all this morning. I'd like to tell a story about myself. Um, I did some very adventurous things in my youth, some of which could have had a fatal outcome. If I made the wrong move, or if I put my full weight on a ledge for my security, these daring events that I participated in that were somewhat careless and I might add, were without any training or even any advanced thought, could have ended up in tragedy. Two of these things that were done late in my teen life, when I was full of strength, vitality, and I was out to explore the unknown, to do something that I had never done before, to blaze a new trail, to conquer my fears, to test my mental and my physical strength and stamina, these two unforgettable events were spelunking and climbing cliffs in Pennsylvania. The climbing event was done in the broad daylight. The sunshine was lighting my way as I either climbed up or repelled down the face of those cliff rocks. The other was crawling and maneuvering in the belly of the earth with only a flashlight that dimly lighted my way through densely dark uncharted caverns here in Pennsylvania. On both of those occasions, I reached the height as well as the depth 
of my abilities, which could have ended tragically for me. You may be here today and not be the adventurous type, but let me tell you, as one believer to another, when you and I journey through life thinking we can spiritually walk in the light and yet dabble in the darkness, we have made a dangerous miscalculation of our faith walk with God and what it means to be a Christian in this world. This is a perilous error. It is a spiritual omission about our position in Christ. And it earns deadly wages in the confusion of the darkness of us committing sins against God. Can there be any fellowship with God while we're fiddling around in the darkness? Are we as believers able to continue to have genuine fellowship with God and be those true witnesses of God in this world if the darkness is not driven away from us? The answer to these questions is crystal clear in the Scriptures. It's even found in the Scriptures we read this morning. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And as the Apostle John is, opens this inspired letter, he's there to refute the many pre-Gnostic false teachings that were going around about Jesus Christ which developed centuries later by Greek philosophers and was classified as a group of people who were Gnostics, known as Gnosticism. And the Gnosticism's points of argument were simply these. Since God is utter goodness and transcends the corrupting evil of the world, then it is impossible for God to have any contact with evil matter in a corrupt world. And the second was like unto it. For since this is so in their minds, how can God take on a human body and suffer in one unto death? Well, there were several answers proposed, and yet two dominated within Christian tradition. The first one was this, that Christ only appeared as God in a human form, only seemed to suffer. And the second is even like unto it, that the Logos of God rested on the righteous human Jesus, but was withdrawn at the time of his passion. Therefore, salvation 
was not by the forgiveness of sins granted by God's grace through the redemption of Jesus Christ. No, no. It was the renewal of ignorance, the removal of that ignorance and the renewal of knowledge by those who were receivers of this new secret knowledge. And through that secret knowledge, they overcome the corruption of the material world. This chief heresy, this secret knowledge being circulated even during the time of John's writing of this letter to Christians was a direct denial of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. For John's listeners that were getting this letter, the pre-Gnostic thought being levied against these Christians was what was known as docetic in its teaching, that Jesus only appeared as a phantom Christ, which denied, if you will, the reality that Jesus Christ came and had a human body, that he was fully man. His body to them was not truly physical flesh and blood, but only a fathom, a phantom, a spiritual form, if you will, but having no human nature. And it it was not derived at all from the body of the Virgin Mary. They proposed that this must be so. Why? For matter, in all of its forms, is innately evil. But John, in this letter, and in his next, in 2 John, verse 7, warns us about this false teaching. He warns us in verse 7 of 2 John, where we read, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Well, why do we today need to heed John's warning? The answer is clear. It is because there are systematized movements in our culture and in our society and in our world, philosophies that are energized by authorities as well as agencies that are seeking to make us think that God does not exist. To discredit and to malign the truth of God's word and then to defile and to defy the claims of Christ on sinners. This is why John starts out his letter in in verses 1 through 4 emphasizing the fact of the incarnation of the word of life. This was a common and 
consistent testimony of not only John, but of all the apostles of the Lord Jesus. And he uses the fact of his experience of being with Jesus through the senses to give testimony of the fact that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. He was both God and man. Their personal relationship with Jesus Christ while he lived among them proved to provide undeniable evidence that Jesus Christ had come and that he was a human being as well as God. They heard Jesus' life-saving words. They saw his perfect humanity being lived out in obedience to God's word. They observed his redemptive works on the cross of Calvary and his resurrection from the dead. And they were touched by his love. And as a result, they were transformed by the truth of the gospel in their lives. Here was irrefutable evidence that the word of life manifested was indeed the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so they kept on and keep on even testifying to us and proclaiming to us him. Why? Well, he gives us the answer there in verse 3. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, for them, and it should be for us, all other private interests or desires, they were set aside so that this spiritual fellowship with the Father and with his Son might be paramount. In fact, he says here in verse 4, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. There was joy in testifying and seeing God work through the gospel in the lives of these believers and those who would yet come to faith in Christ. Well, what message was John inspired to write about this fellowship? that he wanted others to participate in. Well, we find it in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, and we announce to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In other words, though the false teachers may be telling you something differently, we want you to know that God is light. There is no darkness in him. And since God is light, fellowship with God the Father and God the Son must be in the light of God, in the light of God's truth. There's no darkness 
everything that God brings to us, all the good gifts and blessings that we have been talking about, even during this period of Thanksgiving and entering into Advent, show that God is good and that he is good all the time. He is the God of lights, the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow of turning. But these false teachers were saying otherwise. And there were three errors that were cropping up within the church that John had to deal with, and they're found in our text this morning. The first one is found in verses 6 and 7. And it starts this way. If we say... You can see it here in verse 6 and 7. You can see it in verse 8. And you can see it in verse 10. These are the problems that were coming up by these false teachers among these Christians. The first one's found in verses 6 and 7. He says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, what's he say? We lie. We lie. And we do not practice the truth. In other words, the failure in the false teaching that was coming into the minds and hearts of these people that was being propagated by these people who thought they had a secret knowledge about God was the fact that they were not taking sin seriously. To believe that you or I can go on sinning and still be in right relationship with God is a fallacy. It's false teaching. There is no cooperation. There is no agreement between the God of light and the darkness of sin. If we say that we are in fellowship with God, and yet our lives follow down the course of the darkness of sin, then we lie to God, we lie to ourselves, we lie to others. We lie, and we do not practice the truth. But, and here's the correcting point that... John is making for us. He says here, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, a real Christian by faith and by the grace of God habitually lives in God's revelation of light and life. They're practicing the truth. They're seeking to live holy, other than the way the world is living. And it's all done by God's saving grace through the indwelling Holy Spirit and the power that that Spirit gives us to live and to walk in newness of life. But it also gives us the grace, grace from God, to repudiate sin's darkness and sin's deceit. 
In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. The second fallacy being presented by these teachers of secret knowledge is found in verses 8 and 9. Starts out with, if we say. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we have the failure of recognizing uh, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, then we are down the wrong course. It's a failure by saying sin is eliminated. It's not eliminated. It's the idea that I can say that I'm not sinning anymore, and that's not true. As Proverbs pointed out there in chapter 20, verse 9, who can say I have cleansed my heart? I am pure from my sin. The answer is no one can. The denial of sin in one's life was then and is even now being taught by some. Why? Because they have, a, they have a constructed in their philosophy a dualism that is unscriptural, where they divide the body from the soul or spirit. And this dual sphere of human existence is formed. The soul can be salvaged and saved. The body cannot. And when you come to that conclusion, as they did, they think that they can continue to do immoral acts in the body because it doesn't count. It's not a sin. It's just the reality of living in a, a body of evil. And it's these false teachers that go on to deny the existence of the sin nature. And they so teach others to believe and do the same. And John is opposing that. This is an error to say that we have no sin. We are, as he says, deceiving ourselves and the truth of God is not in us. And so anyone being deceived by these false teachings who believes that they have no sin has no hope of God's salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see an example of this, do we not, in Matthew chapter 19. Turn with me there. Matthew chapter 19 It'll be very familiar once you see it. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. This is the story of the rich young ruler where he approaches the Lord Jesus and he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what do the commandments say? And he goes on and he gives a list, the lower list of the commandments. 
And the young man says to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? And Jesus says to him, verse 21, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But notice the young man's reaction in verse 22. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. One of the things that is impacting our society today more than ever before is the security that we place in the things that we own rather than to Christ. But for the real Christian, he admits and knows that he's a sinner. And therefore, he comes to God confessing his sins. And we read in this passage in verse 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, we come to God who already knows that we are sinners, and we come confessing to God the very definitions of the sin that he has laid out in his word that we have done. And we come to him not only to confess, him, but to forsake those sins that show up in our attitudes or our behaviors before God and others, just as he commanded us. And we humbly seek and ask God to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from them. The third erroneous teaching being done by these false teachers that impacted the church is found in verse 10. Start it again. If we say, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. To even, to even think living in this world that we have not sinned has got to be a delusion or utter ignorance. We have all sinned and God declares that all men are sinners and under God's judgment. There is none righteous no, not one. They're all have fall, uh, sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Therefore, to claim that we have not sinned makes God a liar. We blaspheme God when we declare that we have not sinned. But the other point of it, too, is this. His word is not in us. In this last section that we've read this morning, John speaks as a spiritual father to children. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. John's loving care for these believers, his fatherly nature is shining out. And he's advising his spiritual children so that they may not sin. But in doing so, he also wants them to know and understand and be assured of that if they do sin, they have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ is the only righteous one. And he alone is the only propitiation for our sins. But not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. In other words, Jesus Christ, who ascended to his Father's right hand in heaven, is our counsel for our defense. He is our defense lawyer who has fully satisfied God's justice against our sins by his own atoning, bloody sacrifice on that cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed in through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us, with loving devotion, by faith, receive Jesus' words that he spoke there during the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And let us by faith, as Paul encourages Timothy and us today, to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Let us fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life by which we have been called. And if anyone, friend or foe, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of those of the Lord Jesus, and with the doctrine that conforms us to godliness, let it be known that he is conceited and understands nothing. On this first Sunday of Advent, may we meditate on and apply to our lives this blessed truth which the Apostle Paul declares to us. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Amen.